Welcome to this week's episode of Eye of the Swarm, along with our producer, Elliot Sweary. He's the Big Sound Matt Johnson. I am John Garver, and playoff time, Matthew. Yep, we're down to it now. We're down to it. Big time. I mean, this is the week where we find out where, when, and why <laughs> the season either ends or continues. <laughs> it, it's always kind of a strange time of year for me, too, because... It's it's crossover season. That's right. what we call yeah. it in the sports information business. Is the crossover season because you've got your winter sports competing, your spring sports are starting. Right now, we have ten teams that are in season. Yep. So, if I had hair, it would probably be on fire because that's kind of what happens during crossover season. But then all of a sudden, you get to the final week of February, the first week of March. Boom! It's done. Right. And they get about, about a month and a half. You off get about a it. month and a half with no home games, yep. and everything just comes to a screeching halt, and you're kind of at a loss. Like, well, I, yeah, I don't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, exactly. You are correct, sir, and that's exactly how it goes. We talk about it every year. Yep. I mean, we have these conversations in your office, and we talk about it every year. It's like it just sort of and ba- and the spring season, baseball and softball, is so it's it, it's so it's chaotic. chaotic. Yeah, it's it's completely uncontrolled. Uh, you never know when you're playing where. Why or when? Like that's kind of you. You ask those questions. You know, you know we're we're going to go pick up a non-conference game with Augsburg, but we're going to play it in Delano, Minnesota. Yes, exactly. Because they have a turf field that's cleaned off. Right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, this is a time of year where baseball coaches, softball coaches, um, start looking at their schedules. Uh, Frank Pufal will tell you that he's already made one scheduling change. And they've only played two games. Yep. But uh, you know, it, it's. One of those things, it's, it's so topsy turvy. You literally are going flying by the seat of your pants. Yeah, like that's how that's how you know. You, you just never know where or when you're going to be playing again. And that's the nice thing that happens with the fall and the winter is that everything is pretty much set. You know exactly where you're going to be when. Yeah. But with spring, it's so you know topsy turvy. You never know. No. And so you, it is completely different going from the end of the winter to the beginning of the and spring. And with us here, we end up condensing. The entire home, it seems like every year, the entire home schedule gets crunched into about 10 days. Yep, pretty much. You know? I mean, you end up playing like 12 baseball games in, in four days. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's just, it's crazy. Like, and nobody nobody has any pitching left, so you get these wacky scores. Yep. And it's, it, they, yeah. Yeah. Games last like four and a half hours because there's so many pitching changes and guys are being moved around. It, it's just sort of, for those of you who are not aware, the spring season is really. It's a it's a unique experience. It really is. For those of us who've worked behind the scenes in sports. That being said, it seems like every spring you get two days that are absolutely perfect for baseball and softball. That's true. And it is awesome. Those to two be days out are there awesome. Be a part of it. The remaining about month and a half is really, really touch your patience. <laughs> That's the way I would describe it. And it's not always the best of conditions either. So <laughs> there's a lot in play right. during the spring right. that people don't realize, but let's start there. Okay. You you brought up Frank Pufal. The Yellow Jacket baseball team opened their season in wonderful conditions yesterday, playing at US Bank Stadium. Yeah, I was about to say they they went they played in wonderful conditions because they were indoors. Yes. Yeah, so let's let's start with them. <laughs> They're at the US Bank Stadium taking on Carroll, uh, opening up the season, uh, two non conference games. They split the two games. They lost their season opener five to two. That was a game that was close though, all the way to the end, and then Carroll scored three times late. Jackets actually jumped out early. They scored in the first inning on that one. Yeah, it scored both of them. And then the, the offense kind of got shut down a little bit. Yeah, didn't have a lot of hits. They only had five know, hits. And, and the Pioneers just kind of yeah just chipped sort of away chipped at away it. at it and ended up winning. By the way, great logo they have. I, I love Carroll's logo. Yeah, it is. It's reminiscent of Platteville's. Yep. Yeah, very similar. Um, Yellow Jackets again losing a five to two. Yellow Jackets got five hits in the game. They had five different players get those hits, so everybody had one hit of these five players. Nick Fredrickson, Brandon Rolfe, Corey Albertson, Alec Rabin, and Cameron Lee. Keep an eye on Albertson this year, by the way, folks. He's uh, he's quite the ball player. He's probably going to have another big year, I would think. I would imagine. You know, he's yeah. player of the year as a, as a sophomore. 
Yep. And mm-hmm. had a, a great year last year as a junior again. You know, and he's he's kind of a Swiss Army knife too. He plays first base, he catches, he plays in the outfield. You can obviously DH him. He's he also so, plays. He he's also so is, athletic. I imagine you could probably put him anywhere on the diamond, yeah. and he's not going to look out of place. He also hits for average and power, so he does a little bit of everything. Right. Uh, but he had one of the five hits. Ryan Rodriguez actually took the no decision in the ball game. He scored or he pitched the first five innings, gave up seven hits, two earned runs, one walk, and two strikeouts. Elliot Danoff took the loss. Giving up the last three runs, two uh, innings pitched, two hits, three runs. All of them earned two walks and three strikeouts. Thankfully, the Jackets, though, they came back in game two and got a split against the Pioneers, 10 to 7. UWS scored uh, twice in the third, six times in the fourth, and once in the fifth. So they clustered their runs together in the middle innings there. Brandon Rolf and Nick Shea each had three hits. Corey Albertson, Bryce Flanagan, and Nick Zazilka each had two hits for the L Jackets. Tommy Lentz got the win on the mound for the Jackets. He went the first four innings, gave up three hits, one earned run. Walked four and struck out five. Boone Elkins came in for two innings and gave up four runs before Zach Bennett cleaned up, pitching the last inning for the Yellow Jackets, giving up one hit and two earned runs, two walks, and no strikeouts. And uh, so they go one and one, and they'll be next in action in March. So this was <laughs> it for them. So they, they get a couple, although it's not that far away, but it's over a week yeah. before they'll be back in action. Uh, and then the softball team, of course, opened up last weekend. So, yeah, spring sports starting to kick up a little bit. Uh, softball didn't play this week. But uh, they'll be in action and this coming week. And they ramp up seriously yeah, on spring they, break week when they, they all head to Florida. Yeah, exactly. And there'll be a bunch of games down there. Actually, the men's baseball team, they played their next game in Topeka, Kansas, of all places, which is going to be kind of weird. But uh, that's just the way it goes. <laughs> like you said, you, you find you, games you, you, you find, find where you fields can get them. where you can. Yep, exactly. You know, so, you know, they're playing a team from Iowa. Grinnell was able to uh, lock down a field to play in, so They'll be playing each other four times that weekend, so yep. that's going to be interesting. But uh, as for the other teams that are getting in the playoffs, we'll jump right back into now the uh, the other squads. Men's basketball finished up the regular season last week. They lost two games. Tough week for them. Very difficult week for them. Yeah, really tough for a number of reasons, but uh, we'll get into that in here in a second. 16-9 overall, 13-3 in the UMAC. They're now the number three seed in the forthcoming UMAC conference tournament. They lost the final two regular season games last week to now conference champion Northwestern 70-64 in their regular season finale, home finale. On Wednesday, before falling to Bethany Lutheran, ninety-two to seventy-five in the regular season overall finale at the North Gym in Mankato, I had both those games on KUWS. Um, the Northwestern game was particularly difficult for the guys, and I think it played a big role in also how they played on Saturday against Bethany Lutheran because they in that game against Northwestern they had Northwestern where they wanted them for the first eighteen minutes. They had them on the ropes in the first half. Yeah, I mean they were up throughout the first half, led by seven late in the first half, but a fourth foul call, actually two foul calls on V. Malinkovich in about two minutes. At the end of the first half, really changed the momentum of that game. And even though the Jackets were up 34-27 at the break, it's like you could feel the air come out of the balloon in the building. Everybody seemed to know it. Uh, Northwestern certainly knew it. The Jackets seemed to know it. The student section seemed to know it. And I was, I kind of felt the same way. I was like, oh, man. Yeah, that, that fourth foul was a tough one. Yeah, that really was tough a tough one. one. And, it, you know, he never fouled out, credit no. to him, but it changes it's, the aggressiveness with which changed, you can play. It, it, I, I, that was the biggest call in the game. If, if I think if Veed ends, even if he goes into halftime with just the three fouls, I think they win that game. Sure. You know, I mean, the third foul isn't great, but I think the fourth foul is what completely changed the game. Yeah. Because the Yellow Jackets outshot the Eagles for the game, but Northwestern was plus 14 on the boards, especially in the second half. Because he couldn't go after anything. Yeah, because he couldn't go after anything, and the guys were too small. Northwestern's bigger team across the board. Yep. And they were able to attack the glass because they missed a lot of shots. The Jackets made 40% while the Eagles were at 34.9. So neither team exactly filled it up. Right. But Northwestern was able to follow up their misses 
especially during that decisive run in the second half. Sure. It just sort of fell apart for the Jackets from there. Eli Vogel, 15 points. Mason Ackley had 15. Veed ended up with 13 points. Never did fall out. Uh, Allen Anderson had 9 points and 8 rebounds. And then against Bethany Lutheran, the Jackets never really in the game. Got down 16. They were up to nothing. Up to nothing. <laughs> then 16 to the next 19 go to uh, Bethany. It was 16 to 5, then 19 7. And from there, just sort of snowballed. Yep. Um, the uh, Vikings led 47 to 32 at the break. And then in the second half, it was basically just played it out. Uh, Bethany outscored the Jackets 45 to 43. UWS shot 49% for the game and committed 18 turnovers, which did not help. Bethany, though, was really, really in a flow offensively. They made 58.7% of their shots. Uh, Vid Malinkovic, 17 points for the Jackets. For, for the untrained. Sorry to interrupt, but for right. the untrained, because you, you'll talk about field goal percentages just about every time you, you right. recap the yeah. game here. You know, what's good? A good field goal percentage is usually going to be between about 45 and 50. Right. Okay. Um, somewhere in there. So when you, you get a, all of a sudden you look at a, a yeah. Northwestern and go, wow, they shot 66%. That is yeah. lights out. Yeah, that's lights out. I mean, when every time you're close to 60, sure. uh, you're basically not missing anything. Okay. Uh, 58.7 is where Bethany Lutheran was. That's really high. Um, I've seen teams shoot. I saw that Nebraska Wesleyan shot 71% in the game this year, which was crazy to me. And that was in the game against Central earlier in the year. They were 71.4% for the but game. But we all got to see how good they were. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it can happen. Um, but, yeah, generally speaking, you want to be between about 45 and 50. And you want to keep your turnovers below about 13, 13, 14. If you're in that range, you've played a pretty good game. Sure. Jackets were not there. I mean, they shot well, but 18 turnovers is way too many. Yep. But uh, going back to the individual scoring, uh, Veed 17, Allen Anderson had 14, only made one out of eight from the field. He was 12 for 14 from the line, so mostly his points from the free throw line. Mack had 14 points, Mack Rechtal. Mason Ackley had 13, and Eli Vogel had 10. Uh, so that was the week that was for the Yellow Jacket men's basketball team. Women's basketball split last weekend. Uh, Game number two was a really tough one. We'll talk about that in a second here. But they split two games last week, closed out the regular season home schedule, 85-58 with a win over Northwestern. I don't think anybody in the world expected that to be a 27-point game. I did not, not based on the first meeting. Everybody at the table did not no. based on the first meeting. Right, yeah. It or, was, and on last year's playoff game. Exactly. Um, you know, Northwestern's a much better team than that. Uh, so we'll talk more about them in a second here. Jackets actually trailed by one after one, 21-19, and I thought this was the way that it was going to go. Pretty tight throughout the game. They ended up being that way. Jackets uh, ended up outscoring the Eagles 22-12 to in the second to lead it by 8 at the half, 41-33. And from there, the Jackets outscored Northwestern 18-10 to in the third and 26-15 to in the fourth to win by 27. I think it was a case. They're, they're, Northwestern's a little banged up. Uh, their best player, Kelsey Lund, didn't play much in the second half. She didn't play at all in their regular season finale against St. Scholastica. So she's nursing a bad hammy right now. Um, and she's a big key to their team. But the Jackets just played really well that day. Yeah. I mean, they made everything. The Jackets shot the ball really well. I thought they actually shot. It felt like they shot better than they did. They made 47.7% while holding uh, Northwestern at 39.2. It actually felt like they were making more than that, though. They had a really slow first quarter where they miss, missed a lot of Cause shots. Because in the, in the third quarter. They just didn't miss anything. No. Yeah. They didn't. And <laughs> like, it's like anytime Emily, Emily Carpenter threw something up. It was going in. It was going in. Yeah. And Eva had the same kind of game. Yeah. Uh, Eva ended up with 26 points, 10 rebounds. 10 for 19 shooting, but Emily was especially on fire. She had 23. She was 9 for 14 from the field and 5 for 9 from beyond the arc. And Mercer Ruiz ended up with 14 for the Jackets. And that all changes around on Saturday in the regular season finale. This was the worst game I've seen the Jackets play in a couple years. I'm not going to sugarcoat it, and I think they would agree. Um, they just they could never find it in that game. Uh, trailed against Bethany Lutheran 19-15 after one and only 20, 30 to 25 at the half. And I thought, okay, 
Uh, you know, they got a shot. They didn't play a great first half, but they were they gave themselves a chance. They're only down by two possessions. That's not you can make that up in no time. So I thought, okay. But then the third quarter, outscored twenty five to eight, and they had nothing. It felt like they were running uphill the entire quarter, um, and it just got away from them. They were down by twenty two at the after three, and then the fourth quarter just you know played it out again. Last ten minutes, Jackets uh, made just twenty nine point three percent of their shots in the ball game. While on the Vikings made fifty three point two percent, just one yellow jacket and double figures. Mister Ruiz, she had eleven. It was very. I would say this, having said that, you know how poorly they played in the second half. I would say that it was a very out of character game for them as well. Eva Randerson took six shots for the game. Emily Carpenter took nine. You know, those, you need your more. top two scorers take yeah. have fifteen attempts. That's, yeah, it's, it's not going to be enough. Yeah. Um. So they went one and one, and uh, the, both those teams will be in the UMAC tournament. We'll talk about that in the uh, last segment. Men's and women's indoor track and field were technically not in action as teams, but C.J. Pellath decided he wanted to be a part of the Maverick Invitational down at the Minnesota State this past Saturday, and to say that he showed out well would be an understatement. Huh. Uh, <laughs> C.J. had a big day down there being the lonely yellow jacket in a field of D2 uh, track and field athletes. He broke the school record, existing uh, school record that he set earlier this year in the weight throw. How about this, John? 19.17 meters he tossed it. That broke the old school record that he had set earlier at 18.99. He finished second in that event and also finished second in the shot put with a distance of 16.02 meters on the shot. He was also named UMAC track and field athlete for the week for the fifth time this year and 12th time in his career. That way he was second in both events, but he was tops among Division three, three competitors. Yeah. And he, he sealed and the he, spot in the, in the NCAA championship. He locked himself up in the, in the weight throw for the championships, which is awesome. Um, he'll be in the second flight there. But he uh, he was competing against the two throwers ranked ahead of him nationally. Oh, they were both there? And he beat them. Okay. You so know. there you have it. Yeah. Make so, a statement. Well, it, it makes a statement, but it's like, you know, this is legitimate stuff here, folks. Yeah, he could be a national champion. Absolutely he could. He yeah. has it in him. So this is going to be really exciting to watch. Right. How all this unfolds down the road, and then for funny, just through the shot put, finished second in that first among D three throwers there, right? Uh, and suddenly, his tops in the UMAC in the shot and ranked top twenty in the country. Okay. Yeah, you know, exactly. so maybe we'll be throwing in two events right. at nationals. This and year. I, I sure yeah. hope so. Yeah, well, and, and if you look at him, I mean, he he's got, you know, he he's so big and strong. Yeah, that it doesn't surprise you at all. No, at him. and he's worked incredibly hard on on form and technique and. You know, I just I can't wait to see how he competes on the national stages yeah. here. I think it's going to be great. I think it is too. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, men's and women's tennis didn't officially play a, a match this week either, although they did play Iowa Central in an exhibition match. Uh, both the men and women lost those matches. In fact, the only victory as the women lost nine nothing, men eight to one. The only victory was Michael James at number one singles again, defeating Philippe Petrovic seventy seven five six four. I think he's going to win a lot of matches. I think he's going to yeah, <laughs> and, he, and he's a rookie, so he's he's yeah. got some things to learn, obviously. Right as he as he matures throughout his career, but if he's this good as a freshman, whew, yeah, he, look he's out. another one to keep an eye. I don't yep. know I, in conference. I don't know if anybody can beat him. I I'd be surprised. There's some pretty good players in this there? conference. There, okay. There's some good players at number one singles. He's gonna be he's gonna be right in the mix. He's absolutely in the mix. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely gonna be in the mix. So they are both uh, have their exhibition matches from last week, and uh, women's hockey they close out the regular season defeating Northland College five to one. 
Twice. Yeah, by the same score. <laughs> five to one, Friday and Saturday in Ashland and their regular season finales. Kaylee Martinson had a big weekend, five goals in the two games, including the first three for the Jackets in game number one, 12.35 of the first period on the power play, then at 19.40 the second period and 8.10 of the third period. Amber Heidenreich and Jenna Curtis also scored on Friday for the Jackets. Heidenreich's goal coming at 9.01, Curtis at 12.36. Catherine Johnson picked up the win. She had 18 saves. And then in the second game, the other also 5-1 to one victory for the Yellow Jackets. Kaylee Martinson scored the first two goals to the Jackets, 442 of the first on the power play, and then uh, 1358 of the second. Cassie McClure scored at 232 of the third period for the Jackets in that game as well, while Mally Shelton added two more, one at 1051 of the third and the other one at 13 minutes even on the power play in that contest. So they win both games now by the score of 5-1. to one. They're now 17-7 and seven overall and 7-5 in the WIAC, and they're the number three seed in the WIAC tournament. And we'll talk more about their matchup this weekend in the final segment in men's hockey. Last but not least, they swept Northland College as well, 6-3 to three and 4-3 to three in overtime in the opening round of the WIAC Conference Tournament at Westman Arena in Superior on Friday and Saturday. In that contest on Friday, the Jackets had six different players score goals. And they've done that a few times this year, John. Yep. I know that's, that's it, has been, it hasn't been what I would call a common hat for them, but it's... No, but it speaks to the balance. It speaks right, to the yeah. balance in the lineup, and it's, it speaks to you know the ability that he that Coach McKenna has to spread his offense out a little bit. Right, yep. Levi Cudmore opened it up at 244 of the first, and it was Connor McLean at 1208 of that same period. Lawson McDonald at 1423, and Liam Blaze at 1824. So the Jackets scored four times in the first period. Added two more in the second and third. One in the second, one in the third. Ty Profit at 1920 of the second, and Chad Lopez closed it out at 1846 of the third. Oscar Svensson, after a long layoff, good to see him back in there, made 25 stops in the pipes for the Jackets. And then in game two, Jackets winning it in overtime. I know that was a game that gave your ticker a bit of a workout. <laughs> it was tense. Yeah. I mean, it was tense. You were talking about it. It was yeah. tense, you know. Yeah. And, and I mean, let's be honest, Northland was playing for their season. Yeah. And they, they weren't just going to hand it to you. No. They they made the Jackets work for it. I, the tip of the cap to them, absolutely. Yeah, with with how they came out and played on Saturday. Right. You know, and, and frankly, it's hard to beat a team five times in one season. Right, and that's yeah. ultimately what that was coming down to for the Yellow Jackets. This is the fifth time they played that team. Right, yeah, you know, so it's it's not as easy to beat anybody five times in a no. year. Well, everybody makes adjustments. And, yeah, yeah, so you know, so there's plenty of familiarity there. Right, and yeah, it was it was tense, you know, and it was also also that game that brought out all the quirkiness of Division oh, Three hockey. Of course, we've we've had some quirks this year for sure. <laughs> Chad Lopez opened up the scoring for the Jackets, 631 in the first. Colton Bates at 1125 of the first period. Then the second is Bruno Berzaitis at 1150. And then the game winner in overtime, Dylan Johnson, 444. Just 16 seconds left in the overtime session to give the Yellow Jackets the win. Oscar Svensson, 29 stops. On a power play. On a power play. Yep. Into an empty net. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that was, I think, the quirkiness that's that we were talking about. That's the Division three yeah. quirkiness right there. Right. Yeah, that's, that's very. What was the reason for that now? Well, because. A tie doesn't do them any good. Right. They needed to win the game to force the mini game. Right. So shorthanded or at even strength, they were going to pull their goaltender in that situation because the tie does them no good. Right. Yeah. The tie does them the same as the loss, so you're going to take your chance there right. in that final minute. And it just so happened that they took that penalty, which worked out very well because then it takes away that six on five. Yeah, and, five and, on and five makes it a five-on-five five with an open net, then it's a little bit different, you know. So, technically, it's a power play goal, and yeah, it's yep. it, it counts as a power play goal. But that was the winner in overtime, and uh, like I said, Oscar Svensson, twenty-nine stops to pick up the win for the Jail Jackets, and that's uh, everything that happened last week with UWS Athletics. 
We're going to take a break, and we will come back, and we have a special guest, the commissioner of their Upper Midwest Athletic Conference, Corey Borkart, is going to join us for a short segment. We'll have that and more when the Eye of the Swarm continues right after this. Borkers Island Inn is now hiring, and there's a position just for you. Apply for front desk, housekeeper, bartender, server, cook, and dishwasher. We're hiring great people like you. Call or click for more information and apply today. We're back on Eye of the Swarm, and we have a very special guest, uh, dignitary, if you will, as the... Uh, Whoa, dignitary. Today, the vocally challenged <laughs> commissioner of the Upper Midwest Athletic Conference, Corey Borkart, is here to join us. And uh, first of all, Mr. Commissioner, thank you very much for taking a little time out of your trip to Superior to spend some time on the swarm. And this is kind of the stretch, I guess, where, you know, the, the rubber really meets the road for the league office at three times during the year. And this is the second one, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. These are the the weeks we look forward to and, and some of our... Uh, Favorite times of the year, the championships weeks, but also uh, certainly the most uh, intense and uh, busiest, but uh, most rewarding, fulfilling as well. So you're here for basketball, and obviously track and field championships are in Superior this weekend, so i got a room to sublet at the house if you're looking for a place to crash. <laughs> I, I might take you up on that. <laughs> yeah, it should be a, a great rest of the week, and you know, depending how basketball plays out, maybe they'll even uh, be basketball game on Saturday here as well. I certainly could see that. So, From a radio standpoint, that would be great for us because we only have be. one set of travel <laughs> equipment and with hockey going on the road, let's uh, let's do what we can about that. But, you know, let's let's talk a little seriousness here because we only have a, you for a short time today. But sort of uh, give us the, the State of the Union address for the UMAC as, sure. as it stands here in February of 2020. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think our conference is uh, a lot of good things going on, and, and yet we still also, I think, are very representative of some of the challenges in higher ed um, that are happening across the country, and, and particularly smaller college Division three settings. So, you know, I think uh, some positives that come to mind and, and things that jump out, uh, we've had some um, institutions do some great facility projects in recent years. Um, Bethany, probably most recently, Bethany Lutheran with their outdoor um, soccer field, fantastic complex. Um, you know, it has, I think already uh, paid huge dividends for them, and, and uh, I know they're so excited about that, but certainly um, some others as well um, over the last couple of years, and also some schools that are in the middle right now of um, either a, a formal capital campaign doing more projects or starting uh, you know, the the process for new buildings, new fields. So I, I think you are going to continue to see uh, facility improvements across their conference. And that's such a, a critical piece uh, from a recruiting standpoint. I think even 10 years ago, that wasn't the case. Uh, if you ask coaches how uh, pivotal or important where the facility piece kind of came in on a prospective student athletes decision, um, you know, I think it was a little bit lower, but just in the last few years with High school facilities, you know, continuing to improve at a remarkable rate. Our college coaches are recruiting high school athletes that are expecting, you know, to compete on comparable or better uh, facilities. So 
um, positives for our conference, I think, in, in that regard, and I see more um, positives in on the horizon. Martin Luther is, um, you know, in the starting a, a, a process for a major uh, indoor and outdoor um, improvements, and um, Crown Baseball as well is, is looking at trying to do an on-campus field. So I think you're going to continue to see more good things in that regard. Um, I think other positives that jump out to us, uh, for us, I should say, Competitive wise, uh, you know, I think we we've still had some good um, postseason wins in the last couple of years. Basketball and volleyball probably come to mind. Volleyball and men's basketball um, more so than some other sports. But I think we we're continuing to show that our top team or two can play with anybody around us, especially on a one night one game setting. Um, we've had success. Um, for us, it's now trying to expand that in terms of the depth of the conference and and our middle to you know quote bottom of standings continuing to get better. So that's probably an area where you know as in our strategic plan we we've been intentional and focused on trying to to develop that. But from a competitive standpoint, I think our our top teams are. Um, Proving that you know they can certainly hold their own um, outside of our conference. So there's been, I think, some positives for our conference as well in that uh, in that regard. So a lot of good and and certainly still some challenges as well. But I think what's interesting, I'll finish with this on on that particular question. Every single one of our campuses, all nine schools, are full members. The student athlete population has increased over the last five years every year. So you know when I look at athletically how our institution's doing um, their numbers and you know I think their health from an athletic standpoint only continuing to um, you know do well and, and continuing to grow let's jump back to the facility piece because obviously it's no secret here that we have our challenges facility wise especially with the the outdoor yeah. facilities with baseball softball soccer track and field and you know in the in the Obviously, apples to oranges here, but I've seen it in the NHL. I've seen it with the, in the NFL where if a team is pining for a new facility, you'll see the, the league office step in and have conversations with yeah. officials, government, whatever. Sure. Does the league office play a role in anything that way at this level, or are you more hands-off with it? Yeah, no, good question. Uh, you know, I, I can't um, walk into a chancellor's office or a president's office and, you know, um, we're going to move your team. D- demand, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. demand a Chancellor Walker that you know certain things be done from a facilities or other standpoint. Um, but but really, my involvement and and leadership comes in through other forms. So providing um, data to show the impact those that have done facility projects in our conference. What was the impact? Um, you know, providing data to our leaders and those that make decisions um, in that regard, um, articulating how it helps the conference from an identity standpoint, um, you know, being able to tangibly show and, and push that, if you will. That's that's more my role. Um, like you said, you know, I can't uh, demand anything or, or force institutions to do certain things um, from a facility development standpoint, but it's um, trying to enforce the value and the um, the end impact of if they, you know, do that, what what will be gained. Oftentimes, even beyond athletics, you know, there's there's a lot of gains for the institution. And, and so sometimes even those types of data points, um, you know, hold a lot of weight. We are one of those campuses that you spoke about because we're going through our own studies right now and trying to figure out ways to to raise those funds not just for the outdoor facilities but to fix some of the 
inadequacies, I guess, of our, our indoor facilities, locker room space, you know, storage space, dedicated yeah. team spaces, yeah. things like yeah. that. So, yeah. you know, s- staying on our campus here, uh, you know, this is our fifth year as a member of the UMAC. Mm-hmm. What has the addition of UW-Superior meant to the UMAC? What has it helped the UMAC achieve? You know, go down that road if yeah. you would. Yeah. Well, it it's been fantastic, and Superior has been just a, an awesome, um, you know, addition to our conference. I think one of the, the pieces that our membership knew right away when we started um, engaging and, and having dialogue about Superior was it's it's going to improve our overall competitiveness. It's going to push, you know, um, our competitiveness as a conference, and, and certain sports in particular, you know, knew that Superior would come in immediately and... and you know, be right at or towards the top. Women's basketball is probably a great example of that. So, um, you know, I think that piece has clearly proven itself um, from a competitive standpoint with the number of tournaments that Superiors is every year, you know, earning a, a berth in and, and certainly winning a lot of um, championships as well, some regular season, some tournaments. So I, th- I think that part has really been validated, and I think it's helped push the entire conference. Anytime you can add somebody that comes in, you know, and, and pushes the top, you know, that's really what you're hoping and, and you hope that it brings others with um, to keep moving that needle. So that's one thing that comes to mind. I Another thing that comes to mind when I think of, of adding Superior, just the... Uh, the the professionalism, the, the stability, you know, I think Superior from a, a coaching standpoint has had just, you know, some fantastic coaches that some have been here for a long time, um, you know, do a great job with their programs. And um, anytime you add uh, a school like that where they just have a lot of veteran coaches, coaches that are successful, I think, it, again, it kind of raises the overall professionalism, the identity, how your conference is viewed. And and my sense is that, you know, our membership feels really positive about the addition of Superior in that way, too, that um, not just on the court or on the field, but off the court or field as well. Um, that it's been such a great addition. And the, the last piece that I would add, uh, I think Superior uh, does a great job with um, some of what the NCA would define as individual sports. So your cross countries, your tracks, your you know those um, type of sports, and obviously added tennis in the last few years. I think that's helped as well, particularly what comes to mind track and field. Maybe ironic with their indoor track championship this weekend, a good tie-in there. But uh, really raise the level in some of those sports as well, just adding uh, the programs like your track programs that um, Glenn certainly has developed, um, helps our conference as well. So it, so many ways it's it's been positive. And to be quite candid, I, I, I'm not just saying this because I'm on a you know, podcast with you here, but... <laughs> I really can't think of anything negative that's come to my mind or that's been raised to me or brought to my attention in terms of, you know, by adding them, this happened or right. we're now right. dealing with this or anything like that. I mean, it it really has been positive. I think it's been positive both ways as well. I mean, uh, being on the broadcasting side, John and I have been here since the WIAC days, of course, and we've uh, to the UMAC, but I think it's been equally beneficial for our athletes as well and our teams. Um, you know, we've had really, really good success with men's soccer talked about that women's basketball's had good success men's basketball's coming along now uh, you know softball was pushing for a conference title last year baseball was right on the cusp it's been good across the board and I think that the the fact that I think the campus has kind of adjusted to the identity 
of the UMAC versus what the WIAC is, because mm-hmm. the WIAC is just a bigger campus feel to it. Mm-hmm. And this is a smaller campus. I mean, there's just no way of getting around it. The student body is a little bit smaller. It's much more cohesive. Um, and I think that the the fact that you know each of the teams you know that that camaraderie of being on a small campus has really stepped up. And I think a lot of it has to do with being a, a part of a of a group of schools like the UMAC. That is a young conference. It's a growing conference, but it's also each of the schools is very. I don't want to say they're insular because that makes it have kind of a negative connotation. Yeah. Yep. But they're very self-supportive of each other. They're 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 smaller campuses, but they're very connected campuses. That's the way I would best describe it, I guess. Yeah. And so I think that's been beneficial both ways. And I think John, you would agree with me on that. That it's been it's been good. I mean, it's been a good change for our athletes and for our, our teams on campus. No, it, it has been. I, I've been vocal about saying it probably should have happened ten years sooner. You know, I had nothing against the WIAC, but that that conference outgrew Superior, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a long time ago. Yeah, and I know a lot of alumni don't like to hear that, but that conference outgrew Superior. Right. You've got yeah. the next smallest school more than twice your size. Yeah, that's a problem, and yeah. half of that league is six, seven. I mean, everybody's five eight times your size. Yeah, you know, exactly. there's five schools in that conference that are over ten thousand students. Right. Those are Division two schools. Yeah, and it, it just it didn't fit anymore. No, it doesn't fit. It was it was kind of the opposite effect of what happened with St. Thomas in, in exactly. the Exactly. Yep. They outgrew their league, and unfortunately, the the Wyak kind of outgrew Superior, and it was just it was a matter of time. I think we all kind of knew it was coming at some point. Um, just looking at the numbers, the numbers just didn't add up. And so I, the fact that the UMAC was willing to step up and take us, I think, was great. You know, and, and it, it was a perfect fit for us, both you know, location-wise, as far as the the, the you know the campus dynamic. Also, uh, they fit our profile, so I think it's been great. I mean, uh, you know, I, there's an adjustment period that takes place, absolutely, obviously, but uh, I think that everybody in the community has, has come around, and definitely the athletes. I think like playing in the UMAC, so yeah, you know, that's yeah. been my sense. Yeah, and, and I think we talk a lot about in our administrator meetings from pre- president, chancellor level, ADs, uh, all the way through. We have to bring it back to the student-athlete experience, and, and that's where I think, uh, you know, our hope would be that the Wisconsin Superior student-athletes continue to feel like that's a positive experience being in the UMAC. And, and um, to me, that's, you know, if I was on a campus and, you know, different lenses that you will look through – there's all those other parts, the community response, the the alumni, the donor, all those pieces, which are critical, absolutely. But at the end of the day, you know, I think if we can walk off a court of field and, and the athletes can affirm they had a, a good experience, good career, positive career experience, um, then I think we're we're doing some good things. Let's talk about the growth. You obviously don't have to. You're, you're the commissioner. You don't have to do anything you don't want to do. But... Not asking you to divulge anything that's secretive, but talking about growth is are you is this something the conference is still looking at? Is it you know would you would you expand if the right opportunities came along? How big would you want to get? How big is too big? Yeah. You know are those conversations had? Yeah, a- absolutely. Uh, I can tell you philosophically that our our presidents and chancellors um, and our athletic you know directors administrators remain very much supportive of expansion philosophically. So, it, you know, conceptually, it's not a matter of, of you know, do we even like this idea? Uh, we don't have a moratorium in place or anything like that. So I think that's positioned us, um, you know, to continue to keep those conversations going and, and have that, that dialogue. Um, nine, you know, presents some um, challenges scheduling-wise, yep. I think. Anybody that's, you know, worked in conferences with an odd number, even if it was 7, 11, whatever it may be, um, you know, it, it certainly adds a layer. So 
you know, I think that piece, um, even of itself, has, has merited um, continued discussion of um, how can we keep trying to improve the scheduling aspect, which which really impacts so much for schools. So from travel budget to missed class time, time away from campus for student athletes, that schedule piece becomes pretty critical. So, uh, you know, I I continue to see unless we would have a change in our leadership at the AD or president, you know, chancellor level, continuing to be. Um, wanting to expand, looking to expand, philosophically supportive of that. Um, but it, it really comes down to fit then. And, you know, the profile of an interested institution or somebody that we, you know, maybe um, interested in from our end, uh, you know, where do they fit from a profile standpoint and geographical, academic, you know, all those layers to it. Um, and, you know, the reality is for most presidents and chancellors, the first five, ten questions that they would have about institution probably aren't going to have anything to do with athletics. <laughs> right, um, right. Yeah. And understandably so from, you know, um, from their lens. So there's always a lot of layers to that and pieces um, when you're looking at a, a potential, you know, change in your membership or addition. But I, I certainly see us continuing to um, try to increase our membership size. Let's let's talk a little bit about you. We only have you for a few more minutes here. So let's talk a little bit about you. And I, I posed this question to Nick when we had him on. I'm going to throw it at you, too. What what led you down this path and into this position? Because nobody, when they're a little kid, says, I want to be the commissioner of a small <laughs> yeah. Division three athletic conference in the upper Midwest. Nobody yeah. ever says that. There's yeah. things that, that come along in the universe that run into each other and create this situation that leads you down this path. What what kind of led you into the position where you are now? Yeah, yeah. No, that's uh, a fair point. I don't think, uh, you know, Division three commissioner is, is leading the career day uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, signs or booths or Teacher, whatever maybe. Firefighter, firefighter, yeah, division three commissioner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's probably a small list or a line if there is one. Uh, you know, for me, it was uh, initially it was about being in college athletics and wanting to be in a, an administrative position within college athletics. Started at a, a campus setting and and uh, you know had some awesome opportunities in a, a campus setting first. But I think it really was cemented um, probably four or five years out of my undergrad uh, work where it was the realization of the impact on people and just the, the relationships that are part of, uh, I would say, small college athletics. I know they're part of, you know, other athletics arenas as well, but um, just the value that that can have on somebody's life, the impact that you can have on, uh, you know, other people's lives. And, and I think when you're in a campus setting, it's more of that student-athlete piece more than, than anything, the impact and the value. Um, in our position in the conference office, we don't have that day-to-day you know, interaction with student-athletes, but we interact with so many people from officials to our assigners and coordinators of officials to you know, sponsors to student-athletes you know, to administrators and 18 different coaching groups. Uh, you know, so... For me, it it was cemented when I realized to have the opportunity to engage with that many people um, and and to hopefully make an impact, help them help make whatever setting they were in better for them, try to, you know, add value to what they were trying to accomplish. Um, In return, I think, you know, you kind of gain from that um, in terms of fulfillment as well. So 
I, you know, I, I hang this quote above my um, desk um, from Colin Powell. It uh, says the, the day people stop bringing you problems is the day that you've stopped leading them. Um, and so that's, that's really how I, you know, started to view it. And uh, kind of my job is to, to try to help people um, tackle and solve uh, their, their institutional problems. And you come from a sports information background, correct? Correct, yep. So I um, started sports information, um, did that for about five years. Um, but really the conference piece came in. I was just fortunate, right time, right situation. When I was still an undergrad student, I think probably 20 years old, um, our, our conference was obviously still pretty young, forming in terms of a, a life cycle stage, and uh, was hired as a part-time sports information director for the conference and that's really where I started to meet people and, and grow right. those connections and relationships. So campus SID and uh, conference SID for about five years. Um, and then that kind of parlayed into some other opportunities. But um, sports information, athletics communications, near near and dear to me still. And um, appreciate some of the most uh, hardworking uh, people certainly in, in our industry. And the biggest gluttons for punishment i think that exist in college sports <laughs> yeah you know aside from maybe the officials i think that's it's just us <laughs> yeah well and you talk about a profession or an area within our industry that's changed continuing to change quickly uh, yeah i think you'd be hard pressed to find another part of what we do in terms of you know kind of sub industries that is changing or has changed at the rate at you know what our, our athletic communications and, and marketing um, folks do so um to continue to stay, uh, you know, doing what they have to do is, is no small feat. Well, yeah, obviously. I mean, <laughs> I, we I, all know how I stand. Yeah, on well, it. yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I you know, I started out as a as a as a journalist, a sports writer, and I've kind of watched the advent. I've been around the UMAC now for a long time in my lifetime. Uh, first as a sports writer covering Northland College, and then as a broadcaster now at UW Superior. And uh, I mean, back in the old old days, I remember when Corey was still the uh, the SID. For the conference, I mean, this was back before you had social media. <laughs> you know, yes. there was no the, Facebook, the there was no Twitter. Days. Yeah, we didn't even have a website for the conference <laughs> when I first started. Yeah, exactly. That. I mean, I, so I know you've been at the forefront because I, I know, I know that you got submitted all kinds of stuff back then. You had to do it the old-fashioned way, just like when I started working for you, John. That mm-hmm. was. <laughs> that was, it was the same way. I mean, you know, the athletes nowadays, I don't think they really fully understand it. When you no, say that because this is how it always used to be, yeah. you know. I mean, I you know, we had to talk with Eva Reinerson about this yesterday about the fact that uh, it wasn't always this way. Like we didn't always write recaps, we didn't always do links to box scores, all these things, and social media and twi- Twitter, Twitter and yeah. Facebook. We didn't do all that. Yeah, you know, when it, when we first started out, it was still trying to get the numbers right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was that yeah. was really what it was. And now, of course, the changeover also from Stat Crew with basketball and also with other sports. Yeah. I think with basketball it's been a little bit more, but I know volleyball is being changed over. So, yeah. yeah, it's constantly evolving, and I know it's been something of a headache for you, John, trying oh, to figure all that out. At times, yeah. Yeah, was, <laughs> you know, just like everybody else, though. I mean, it's, it's but the NCAA, is the NCAA actually doing that? Are they actually mandating a changeover from Stack Crew? Is that? Well, John probably can speak to this better than myself, so I, I you know, shouldn't pretend in any way to be an expert speaking on this, but the NCAA is partnering with a company, we'll put it that way, um, that is really changing or becoming probably the primary um, software used for statistics. So because of their relationship, there's a lot of synergy and reason why NCA schools would want to go with this new stats company. They're not 
completely new, but um, so that's kind of how it's developing. Okay. And and at one point it was the NCA and Stat Crew, you know, kind of made Stat Crew Monopoly, and All right. you know, over time that's changed. So yeah, it's it's definitely evolving um, quickly. Well, and it's, of, it's wonderful. I mean, it's a it's a wonderful program. Yeah, it's it's web based. Right. Yeah. It's very user friendly compared yeah. to. And I, I've I've been slamming Stack Crew for years. Well, I'm Stack sorry. Crew is DOS. But it's, it's a I mean, DOS program. I mean, yeah. you, you can play, you can do Stat a game and play Oregon Trail on the same computer because the thing is so old. Yeah. I mean, it's it's horrible. Well, the NCA yeah. for the people who might remember yes. Oregon Trail oh, yes. from I elementary mean, school. Yeah. A couple of times on the road this year, I've gotten box scores in in Stack Crew still. Right. And it, it, like I've gotten so used now to the new stuff that like Stack Crew now is kind of like an afterthought. But you have to remember that the NCA used Stack Crew for like thirty years. Yeah. Yeah. At all levels, so it was and like even though they came out with an update every year, not a whole lot changed no, in Stack Crew. No, <laughs> no, but you better get that update. Yeah, you better. You, know, you want so, your live stats yeah. to run right. You yeah. better. Yeah, I mean, because yeah, the, I mean, people don't realize when you say DOS. I don't know if people understand. They have no idea that what is. that means. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, that's a DOS program. I mean, this dates back to the '80s. Yeah, yeah. that's how old the uh, Stack Crew is. Sure. So yeah, and now I think you know one of the positives. I don't know how much coaches because they have other tools that they use too, but. It's amazing some of the the um, features now with you know development of statistics how much it can even help. Oh, the, the analytics are incredible in the new yeah. program. analytics scouting prep game prep all those pieces you know that that's really changed too. Right, yeah, because now I can tell you how how many time to the second you've been in the game, well, like for for basketball. Anyway. But it's, it, like even I, you yeah. you can take the XML file out of that and submit it to the company that does your video yep. editing for you, and it gives you this massive report. And all the different pages pages, all the different yeah. stats that come out of that, it, just, it blows your mind. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I, uh, I the volleyball one I threw, I know threw everybody for a loop for a while. But yeah. basketball seems to have done pretty well. Yeah. Like the basketball stack crew seems to have worked pretty well, or the new stack crew. Yeah. It's not stack crew anymore. Yeah. We're just used to calling it stack crew no, because we used it the, forever. They're wonderful. Yeah. yeah. They really are. And I, volleyball is in its first year this year, and there were some bugs in there, but it's like anything else. You, you, know? you figured it out. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You just got to work out the bugs. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, one more, and we'll let you go here because I know you have oh, a meeting coming up. But uh, last year was the 10 year anniversary of the yeah. conference. Yeah. And as part of that, you were very hands on with that. And. You made it a point to get out and practice with teams. <laughs> yes. You know, and I, I, I witnessed the, the, <laughs> the time you spent with our track and field team when yeah. you were on campus. What was that like, number one? What surprised you the most being part of that, number two? And what was the most difficult thing that you had to do, number sure, three? Sure. Answer in any order. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I think what... Um, what stood out to me the most as I reflected on the experience, two things. One, we have some just awesome coaches in the UMAC and, and coaches that, yeah, they're successful, but they're even better people. And when you see them in their kind of setting environment where they're doing their thing with their athletes and the conversations and the interactions, uh, my appreciation level just, you know, went to a new level and, and Sometimes it was more the X's and O's, you know, amazement and appreciation, but more times it was just um, how they impact those students' lives, what their intentionality with the, the student-athletes, and, and how much they care about the student-athletes. You know, I I, uh, I know at times they coaches have to put on a, you know, game face, if you will, or, or type of, you know, front, but I think if in some cases athletes saw, saw how much how how much they cared and, you know, how much it, their relationship with their athletes meant to them, um, you know, they'd have even a greater appreciation as well as athletes. So that stood out to me. And then second was just, 
the incredible quality of student athletes that we have in in terms of you know on field talent skill level or on court but even more so what they're doing in their academic pursuits career pursuits you know other interests Um, when i would talk with some of the athletes you know what their day was like their week was like what they're doing what else they're involved in on campus or you know in the community it it was just amazing and and awesome um, things that they're doing that you know sometimes those get some notoriety and you know there's some stories done or website features on you know community service projects or certain athletes that excel you know in in certain areas but you know i felt like you could tell a thousand stories you know after doing that for a year of our our umac athletes and and just the incredible um, quality individuals that they are even away from athletics so those are probably the two things that stand out to me Um, the hardest part or the most challenging um, without a doubt attempting to learn how to throw the hammer and the um the jab was really fun and i actually had a fair amount of success uh, although probably the morris track coaches should probably speak to that more than me but um <laughs> the the hammer probably uh, stands out i drilled myself in the back of the head at one point on that and, oh uh, you know don't worry all the in- conference insurance policies were good and, and everything but um it, very humbling to do some of those track and field events, but also, you know, it was probably some of the um, the best moments as well. Well, you've got nine years to think about what you're going to do for the 20-year <laughs> yeah. anniversary. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> yeah, that's. I've had a lot of people say, so what are you doing this year? What would you do to top that? So, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, getting whacked in the back of the head with a weight. It's, it's a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> that's, that's taking hands-on to a whole new level, I think. Uh, more like heads-on, but wow. That... Uh, <laughs> I've seen those things. I've, I've, well, I haven't watched CJ Pella throw them. It's just like, nah, yeah, no, I don't think I could. I, I admire your courage to go out there and try it. I, <laughs> well, I, that's more than I would be able to do. I'll tell you that. Uh, attempt and try, I think, are the key words. I'm, uh, I'm not sure I made a whole lot of progress, but it was, uh, it was great being in that. I guess that element. So, well, if we get to the point where the UMAC is sponsoring hockey as a varsity sport, I'll give you some tips before you before you venture out on the ice with one of the teams. Hey, I I hope that day comes. I'd be excited about that. That would be a great uh, a great day in the a new chapter in the UMAC, so let's let's hope that happens at some point. He's Corey Barkart, the commissioner of the Upper Midwest Athletic Conference. Mr. Commissioner, thanks for stopping by. Absolutely. Thanks for the time today. We'll take a break, and we'll be back with more of the Eye of the Swarm right after this. For over 85 years, the dollars deposited at National Bank of Commerce have been reinvested into the community, sparking bold ideas and igniting big dreams. Our customers have helped transform the region. And if we've come this far already, just imagine what's next. National Bank of Commerce, we make more possible. We're back on the Eye of the Swarm, our final segment here in this week's episode, and uh, wonderful to have Commissioner Borkhardt here. Yeah, he's a really good guy. I've known Corey for a long time in different uh, different avenues when it comes to the conference. Of course, he started out as the SID. The conference SID did that for five years, and then now he moved up to the commissionership job, uh, and he's just a really nice guy. I wish I, we would have had a little more time with him. Yeah, you know, Corey's I, a, I would have liked to have done a little deeper dive into a few things, but I think he probably knows he... he 
He's got an open invitation anytime he wants to join us. Yeah, anytime he's in the area, it's always good to have him on. And I hope we get a chance to talk to him again real soon because uh, he, he's he's just a really nice man. Uh, you know, like I said, I've, I got a chance to know him in different regards or in, in different capacities for a number of years, and uh, he's 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 a good one. The yeah. conference has got a good one there. They absolutely do. Leading the conference. Absolutely, so. we do. Yeah. So, so uh, playoff time. We've mentioned it in the open, and we'll, we'll talk about it now as everybody yeah. is in the deep end of the playoff pool this week. Yeah, everybody's involved in the – well, at least all the winter teams are in the deep end of the pool when it comes to playoffs, and we'll uh, talk more about the spring teams as well because some of them are in action as well. Uh, we'll start out with men's basketball. They are, as of this recording – on their way down to take on Bethany Lutheran in the UMAC uh, tournament semifinals, 5.30 p.m. this Wednesday, of course, as this is being recorded. If the Yellow Jackets win that contest, they would take on the winner of the Northwestern St. Scholastica UMAC tournament championship, or in the UMAC tournament championship game, excuse me, Northwestern St. Scholastica playing in the other semifinal round, playing as well on this Wednesday. And there's a couple of different scenarios there. If the Yellow Jackets win and then St. Scholastica wins, they would actually host UMAC title game on Saturday at the Mertz. Otherwise, if Northwestern wins and the Jackets win, they would be at the Erickson Center on Saturday. So those are the two scenarios for the Yellow Jackets. If they win, and of course if they lose, they're done. But uh, that game being played tonight, uh, 5.30 p.m. actually on this Wednesday. So hopefully people will tune into that one. Um, And if you need full information, check out uwsyellowjackets.com to find out where they're at, how things are going, and if they're going to be continuing on. After this Wednesday, women's basketball is in the same boat, except they are at home. They'll be taking on Northwestern in the UMAC tournament semifinals. That's a Wednesday game that I will be on the radio for. Hopefully everyone will tune in and listen to that. 7 p.m. opening tip-off between the Yellow Jackets and the Eagles. It should be a good ball game. I'm thinking it's going to be pretty darn tight. Yeah, it's probably going to be a little better than we yeah, saw a week ago. I'm guessing so. I'm guessing so. If UWS wins, they would take on the winner of the other semifinal, of course, Minnesota Morris and Bethany Lutheran playing that contest, that game being played in Mankato on the same time or same time frame about. They'll talk, they'll actually be tipping off about a half hour at least afterward. Right. So uh, we'll keep an eye on that one. And then if the Yellow Jackets do win and Morris wins, they'll be at home again on Saturday hosting the UMAC Tournament Championship game, which has become kind of a tradition around here. But if the, uh, if the Vikings win and the Yellow Jackets win, they will uh, re- uh, match up down in Mankato at North Gym for full information again on all of that. Again, look at the web- athletics website, uwsyellowjackets.com. Find out uh, where and when. If the Yellow Jackets do win tonight, they're going to be playing on Saturday. That would be the next time they would uh, of course, uh, hit the court again. So now we with a chance to go to the NCAA tournament as well yep. for both the men and women if they do win uh, their tournament champ or tournament semifinal matches on Wednesday. Men's and women's track and field, as you heard uh, Corey Barkhart kind of talk about a little bit in our previous interview, is hosting the UMAC Indoor Track and Field Championships at Lydia Thiering Fieldhouse this weekend, Friday and Saturday. Friday action gets underway starting at 2.30 p.m., and on Saturday they start bright and early at 11 a.m., so... Uh, he's going to be in town just for that, I think, right? He'll be handing out the conference tournament or the conference uh, title trophies. He'll be handing out the awards. Yeah, the awards. But it it depends on on basketball, too. Yeah. And and where the basketball teams, where all that shakes out after tonight. So, yeah, that's it. Uh, Men's and women's tennis actually get a long layoff. They're not in action again until March. Yeah, not until spring break trip. Yeah, spring break trip. The men will be taking on Johns Hopkins on Saturday, March 14th, and then the women will be taking on UW Lacrosse on Monday, March 16th. Both those games will be played in Orlando, Florida, so they're off this weekend. Not the case for softball, though. Softball actually has a doubleheader, non-conference action. This weekend they'll be taking on as a Bethel. Yeah, it's Bethel, actually. Taking on Bethel in non-conference action now, the Dundas Dome. 
in Dundas, Minnesota. It'll be a 6.30 and 8.30 p.m. doubleheader this Saturday evening down in Dundas, Minnesota. Baseball is, of course, off as well this weekend, although they will be next in action, as we talked about a little bit in the open, against Grinnell. That'll be their next contest. They'll be taking on Grinnell four times that weekend, but they'll open it up on Saturday, March 7th in Topeka, Kansas, with a doubleheader against Grinnell, 12 p.m. and 3 p.m. The opening pitches there. Women's hockey starts their postseason run this weekend as well. They are next in action at UW-River Falls Friday and Saturday, opening round of the WIAC Conference Tournament. Opening face-off from Hunt Arena down in River Falls on Friday for the women, 7 p.m., and then the opening face-off on Saturday, 2 p.m. So that's where they are. And then, again, last but not least, men's and hockey is on the road, taking on UW-Eau Claire in the WIAC Conference Tournament semifinal round. That'll be 7 p.m. starts both nights on Friday and Saturday from Hobbs Ice Arena down in Eau Claire. Mr. Garver across the way, pregame, 6.40 p.m. both nights. And that'll be a tough. Uh, that's a tough road swing for both those teams. Yeah, there's, those are tough draws for both teams. Yeah, you know they're they're playing opponents that are very good, right? On uh, their home anywhere, ice. even better on their home ice. So it's two really stiff tests there. Yeah, um, you know that's not out of the realm of possibility. Obviously, that they right. yeah, yeah. the women's team has beaten River Falls this year. The the men's team hasn't beaten Eau Claire this year, but they've played tight right with them. on the cusp. Though they did, you know, they did win at Eau Claire a year ago right. in the postseason. So. Uh, I think two tough series, right? but I think two very good series, too. Yeah, should be a fun week. Uh, hopefully everybody will still be playing by next week, because if that is the case, then we'll have a couple teams in the NCAA tournament. But, yes, uh, indeed. Uh, if not, uh, it should be a fun week anyway, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing what's happening. If you're interested in any of the broadcasts, again, you can go to 91.3 FM, KUWS. Uh, is it on the webpage there? It's also on UWSYellowJackets.com. Yeah, you can get to anything yeah. off of UWSYellowJackets.com. Yeah, either one of those, you'll be able to find uh, uh, me and John on the airwaves because we'll be bringing it all to you this week. So stay tuned, folks, and it uh, should be a fun week. should be a great week. Looking forward to bringing you that action on uh, 91.3 KUWS. He is our engineer, Elliot Sweary. He's the big son, Matt Johnson. I am John Garver, and thank you for listening to this week's episode of Eye of the Swarm, sponsored by Superior Beverages. 